Welcome back to Podcast Greater Than Yourself, Episode 10. My name is John Barleycorn. And I am Fred. And we're going to be your hosts today, as always. With us this week is our friend Marty. Uh, She was discussing the topic of what is an alcoholic. It was a a podcast that went in many directions. Mm -hmm. And uh, another person we met through this Zoom uh, time and uh, just awesome, just awesome person to to put into our group for sure. Yeah, and uh, we look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about it. Please uh, scroll down in your little app thing and rate and review us. Even if you want to shame us for broadcasting from our mom's basements, and um, we would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode or any episode. Reach out to us at podcast greater than yourself at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram. Podcast greater than yourself. <laughs> okay, enjoy the show. See ya. Um, so, with the topic being what is an alcoholic, um, my first, uh, my first incl- inclination was, you know, anyone who's ever been court ordered to go to an AA meeting Bingo. is an alcoholic. It's probably <laughs> an Episode enough, over. You know? episode is over you can cut DUIs DUIs yeah yeah if you've had a DUI that is a direct correlation with Mm -hmm. being an alcoholic we're we're dangerously Um, treading into like uh what is what's that comedian's name comedian in quotes a blue collar comedy thing if you're dog Jeff Foxworthy (laughs) you might be an alcoholic we should do a whole episode of those you might be a redneck (laughs) with that same cadence every time yeah (laughs) if you're TV and then it's just like you might be an alcoholic (laughs) if you're porch (laughs) anyway sorry if you're on probation because of a DUI you might be an alcoholic But uh, so I had like three different spots in the book um, that my mind went to whenever I got the the uh, prompt or not prompt topic whatever. Um, and I think the one that I kept coming back to is on page XXX which is 30. That is 30 in Roman numerals, in the doctor's opinion. Okay. I got a different edition. Let me see here. Is it in the second letter? It's in the second letter, yeah. Okay. The top of the page starts, important appointment was not met. Or I guess your pages even might have... No. Yeah. For me, that's XXVIII. Interesting third edition so um right you actually that's how you know if you're a real alcoholic because you have a third edition (laughs) (laughs) if you have a third edition of the big book (laughs) if you have three copies of the big book (laughs) with different highlighter colors you might be an alcoholic you might be an alcoholic (laughs) holy shit Okay, uh, it's the, like, third or fourth paragraph down. It starts off with all these. Mm. So this page has started to go through 
the doctor briefly describes, Dr. Silkworth briefly describes some uh, classifications of alcoholics and they're all over the place. And then he says, you know, the classification of the alcoholic is outside the context of this text. Um, but he ties them all together with one thing that they all have in common. And he says, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. And, you know, it kind of echoes the same. He discusses the allergy again on two, two pages prior to that when he first introduces the allergy, um, uh, it says that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So again, there's that distinction. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for me, that inability to control the amount of alcohol that I'm going to take as soon as I start drinking is what set me apart. Um, from everybody else who can drink normally. Um, and, you know, and, and for me, I know that, I think it talks about later, there's a line that says something along the lines of, um, you know, at some point in every alcoholic's drinking, um, there comes a point where the strongest desire to quit is of absolutely no avail. So I know that you know, I suffer from this allergy and I suffer from this obsession, but I only need to experience the allergy to be an alcoholic. Um, Cause you know, the obsession didn't kick in right away. The allergy was pretty, pretty quick, but I didn't experience the obsession until, um, until a few years into my drinking. And, um, but, but as soon as I experienced that allergy, I vividly remember the very first time I ever got good and drunk. It was a four loco at a soccer party. I had told my parents I was going to team bonding <laughs> and it was, <laughs> we bonded. All right. Um, and I remember looking around the room and I remember seeing everyone else having a good time, but I remember I was having a completely different experience than anyone else in that room. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I want to feel this way more and more and more. And I want to experience this for as long as I can, as much as I can for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, um, and I drank until, you know, I, I didn't intend to black out that evening or, or not. Um, I didn't intend to drink as much as I did that evening, but as soon as I had half of that four loco, um, I was like, good Lord almighty. This is, this is it. This mm -hmm. is, this is the best. And my body started to crave more and more. And then that happened um, almost every single other time that I drank from then on. What you were talking about is interesting because that same paragraph, he ends the paragraph with the only, re only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Mm -hmm. And later on in the book, it talks about how, you know, with a hard drinker, uh, or when it talks about young people in AA back in the thirties, it's like, mm -hmm. Hey, listen, some of these people might be able to stop and they might not have gone down that road far enough to have gained Maybe the second part, maybe they're showing signs of being an alcoholic, but maybe they get married and the wife says, hey, listen, you got to stop. And they're able to. Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't mean if they hadn't kept drinking, they might not have crossed that, you know, invisible line mm -hmm. to, to become an alcoholic. Um, 
but you know, I always, you know, I, I have that, the page that you referenced second, uh, the, the previous page before, um, where he's describing the allergy, Silkworth describing the allergy. Like when I go through that with sponsees, the word that I point out is never, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. I always say, how often is, uh, how often is never, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it says that we can never safely use alcohol, um, in any form at all, you know, and, and that once we have that, there's no turning back. Right. And mm-hmm. just like you said, and I agree though, completely because I sometimes get frustrated when I hear a lead and they say something to the effect of like, yeah, I grabbed that Jack Daniels bottle when I was 13 and had a pull off of that. And then it was Jack Daniels every day until I got sober at 47. And I'm like, that, that seems unrealistic. Like <laughs> you were able to get Jack Daniels every day, even like from really? 13, from 13, like that is impressive. I know they're kind of making a point or whatever, but I I really like in the book where it talks about um you know that this has nothing to do with the amount of alcohol you drink, yep. what type of alcohol because I feel like that gets glazed over exactly to your original point which was, you know, oh, if you've been to court, you're an alcoholic, right? Oh, if you if you drink a lot of alcohol, you must be an alcoholic and it's such a mm-hmm. um it's such a uh you know, a miss you know, it's, it's such misinformation that the general public has about alcoholism, you know, because I was never that person who's like just sitting with a giant half gallon of alcohol, drinking it straight out of the bottle, but doesn't make me any less alcoholic than the person who Mm -hmm. did do that, you know? And well, and a great example of that. And from my personal experiences, um, my stepdad is a beer guy. Like he's one of those guys that's like tried to microbrew his own, beer and he always goes out and he gets like the, the taster flights he's he he drinks a lot of beer mm-hmm. he has a handlebar mustache uh, uh no he does have like full <laughs> like huge giant beard and he's bald he looks like he rides motorcycles but he does not um he spends his time in subreddits about ipas if he knew what reddit was <laughs> i could guarantee you he would <laughs> He's more of a, he's more of an oatmeal stout man, Got it. but, um, you know, he, he drinks quite a bit, but the difference between him and I is that he's never experienced the allergy because mm-hmm. it never occurs in the average temperate drinker. I mean, does he drink quite a bit of beer? Yeah. Has he ever experienced the allergy? No. Yeah. Might it cause him to die a few years earlier than he would have? Maybe. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not Joe. I'm saying like maybe, he, you know, because my father-in-law, he drinks BLs. He puts them back 12, 14 on a Saturday night. And like, but the guy is not an alcoholic, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, he's, he's just not. Yeah. I, I cannot pinpoint a time um, that I've known him and I've known him since I was five that he's not ever been able to hit his mark. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know almost from the very first time that I drank could never do that. I love when what Silkworth does with, so when he introduces the phenomenon of craving and then at the bottom of that page that you, the second page you went to, um, when it goes through the whole men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced. um, I feel like, so I always take sponsees there. I think it's like, duh. Um, mm-hmm. the pages after that in the doctor's opinion I 
take people there less so because I honestly feel like it's rare when I sit down with somebody with this we believe and so suggested paragraph and then the frothy emotional appeal paragraph and then men and women drink paragraph. It's rare mm-hmm. that we go through that and somebody's not like locked in, like getting right. getting what he's saying. But there's so much good shit after that. And it's like it was so funny when you said, Oh, my you know, it's the next page where my reading is. I was like, Oh, cool. So it's gonna be there's a type of man. And then, or there's class, the classification is like, no, it was like, oh, you went like, you, it, there was like four different paragraphs you could have started. I was stoked on. And I was like, oh, cool. That one. Um, and like, like, uh, I almost, almost, almost did the first slip. Um, like Fred said, um, you know, it goes on to say the only relief we, we can suggest is entire abstinence. And then he talks about this guy who like was, essentially just living to drink alcohol his his whole life was about that so if we go back to this men and women drink paragraph it talks about they're like and there was a discussion in our facebook group about this recently where i can read this one of two ways but i often see i can see it both ways so men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol so that's probably true for most men and women just consuming alcoholic beverages but i think in the parlance of these times to say someone drinks especially in the context of what silkworth is talking about here he's talking about people who have a drinking problem Mm -hmm. um because how many people have you known who've gone to like a you know, you like at work, you go to a work event and someone who doesn't even like to drink just has a cocktail because everyone is being social and having cocktails and they kind of thumb around with it and like, you know, what you watch it, the ice melt and stuff and they might have a few sips and like that person's not drinking for the effect produced by alcohol. They're drinking to be social. You know, it talks about it on page 151, you know, like drinking means conviviality and, you know, right. good times and liveliness and it's not so for us, you know? Um, so I think it's, it, to me, that's how that reads. You know, we, like when my grandma, who's a, who's a person who's like a teenager when this is written, when she says, oh, that's uh, Jimmy Jones, he drinks. You know, she's mm-hmm. not saying he consumes right. alcohol. She's saying he's a fucking drunk. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we read it like this, you know, what we're talking about, you know, right after this description of this, allergic reaction um the sensation that i get from alcohol as a problem drinker is so elusive that even while i admit that it's causing problems in my life i can't see the truth from the false i can't see that i'm incapable of managing the amount that i i take or you know preventing whatever happens when i first start drinking but it goes on to say that like you know my my life seems the only normal one right okay i get all this stuff but then what we do is we, we try to stop. And I feel like I've heard so many times, like I think the first meeting that we ever had of our Wednesday meeting, a few people were in there and they were like, all Dr. Silkworth talks about is, is the physical component of the, of the Mm-mm. illness. Mm-mm. And I feel like, have you not read this paragraph? <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Because he goes on, he says that like, I'm going to be stuck in this cycle until my thinking changes. And, mm-hmm. and, and and in this paragraph, it's not only like these two aspects of the illness, but 
also the solution. An entire psychic change. He's telling me what needs to happen in my life, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's super important because I... So if I, if I look at my use with cocaine, um, I want you guys to look at it too. I'm about to do some. Uh, no, the... Uh, <laughs> As I, as I sniffle, um, the uh, so uh, <clears throat> I don't have a problem so, or anything. Um, so I take a look at my cocaine. Yeah, exactly. So I don't consider myself a cocaine addict. I don't go to Cocaine Anonymous. I've been invited to Cocaine Anonymous, and I I don't go because I I I have never experienced anything even approaching a mental obsession kind of thing with cocaine i just haven't um my experiences with cocaine 100 of the time have been i snore some cocaine and 10 minutes later i'm like i don't understand how people get addicted to this stuff this is not even good is this stuff good was that even good stuff because it's not good it doesn't feel good i'm not high like people talk about euphoria and i don't even feel euphoria right now like we should do more of that because i don't think that i got enough of that stuff like that's my reaction to cocaine right yep. that's my physical reaction to cocaine and then the next day i'm like well i still don't see how people get addicted to that because i don't want more of that i don't want to do that mm -hmm. and then a year later somebody has cocaine and i'm like okay sure whatever like so that might be like, well, you know, because I've never had a moment where I was like, cocaine's ruining my life. I need to not touch cocaine. Mm -hmm. I've never been in any kind of cyclical like nightmare with cocaine. I just haven't. But I've absolutely experienced a phenomenon of craving with, with cocaine, right? I just feel like what where the delineation comes here is like, if I'm going to be helping somebody um, understand why they need a psychic change i.e. qualifying them in step one, right? Um, and I have nothing but the frothy emotional appeal of like an intellectual explanation of something to offer them. I have no experience with it myself. Then I have no business trying to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't go to Cocaine Anonymous, right? And I don't go up to cocaine addicts who are just cocaine addicts and be like, well, hey, I've got this heady intellectual understanding of your illness. Let me, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. I feel like that too is where, um, you know, the long form of the third tradition comes mm -hmm. in handy and is important because I feel like, you know, a, a lot of the times I hear the short form beaten over the head and, you know, group conscience meetings yep. or what have you. Um, people are like, well, the only desire, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And I'm like, well, Okay, but if we read the long form, it tells us that our membership should include all who suffer from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Not everybody who's been court-ordered suffers from alcoholism. And that's where, you know, it does become important for, you know, good sponsorship to be present in the rooms so that we can make clear to the people who are coming to us, you know, what an alcoholic is and help them to decide on their own whether or not they are an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Cuz you know, I'm it's just me, but if I'm getting if I'm if I wasn't an alcoholic and I was court ordered to AA and I had a good sponsor show me exactly what alcoholism is in the book and I start to read what this is and understand what it is and what it isn't and understand the allergy and understand the obsession um 
if I'm not an alcoholic, I'm going to be like, oh, okay. Well, I don't need this then. Yeah. I don't want to, I'm not going to go through all of this fucking work if I, if I'm not an alcoholic and I don't have to. Yeah. But I feel like sadly, a lot of people are misled in that sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then, I mean, obviously we're in a little bit of a singleness of purpose kind of discussion. And I mean, it's crazy, Marty, that you would think that the traditions would be misunderstood. I mean, <laughs> don't know. I know. it's not like we're currently dealing with the exact situation, like uh, where maybe the traditions are misunderstood and like, um, you know, uh, there's a line in the book. Uh, it's talking about, you know, I think it's talking about families or whatever. And, uh, but it's like, you know, talking about people trying to help alcoholics is like behind them is a world of, uh, ignorance and misunderstanding, you know? And, uh, I think that's it, you know, like, um, why wouldn't you think that an alcoholic is a person who drinks a lot, you yeah. know? Um, but this paragraph that, uh, it's funny cause, uh, on that Facebook thread, like I chimed in a little bit and I wish I didn't even, I didn't even pull out the book. I just quoted the line that I knew came next. And I wish I would have got the book cause I forgot that this was what followed the next sentence because this clears it up because he's talking about how the alcoholic sees other people taking mm -hmm. drinks. So he's separating them. Yeah. So he's clearly what he means by men and women are alcoholics. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's been is, asked to, he's been asked to write about alcoholics. Well, <laughs> when you were talking about it, what I thought was like, it's imagine if somebody was asked to write a paper about heroin addiction and they put in a line that said men and women essentially do heroin because they like the effect. And we sat here and we were like, I wonder if he's talking about heroin addicts or just people in general. Because guess what? The general, general public. Don't do fucking heroin. You know what I mean? It's like normal people. Like, here's the thing. I can't even tell my wife my drug, my great awesome, incredible, hilarious drug stories because she gets horrified by out. <laughs> like, she, like, yeah. she wants to throw up, you know, and exactly what John was talking about. Like, she does not drink for effect. I know she doesn't because as soon as she feels the effect, you know what she fucking does? She stops drinking. Mm -hmm. Like, she drinks to relax. She drinks to be one with other people. She drinks because she enjoys the taste sometimes. Like, she has many reasons, but it's almost never to 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 feel to get drunk except wanna, yeah. when on occasion maybe twice or three times a year she sets out like at a wedding she sets out with the intention like yeah tonight i'll probably have a few extra i got fred he's gonna drive so i might have a few but i you know she's like i'm i'm actually forcing the monitor of like having <laughs> a beer um living vicariously through her but <laughs> the the line that i always bring sponsees to and i uh, i love what john was talking about is like um they're restless, irritable, discontent. We hear that all the time, right? We hear restless, irritable, discontent. But the part of this to me that is so important is unless they can again experience, yeah. right? I, uh, insinuating that at this moment, the person is sober, mm -hmm. which is my mm -hmm. problem, right? Um, my problem is I can't live undrunk. I can't live sober. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, uh, when I combine those two things, the allergy or the whatever we're going to call it, you know, the physical reaction and this inability to live sober, that is what makes me the alcoholic, you know, and I'm lucky because I'm an alcoholic who also happens to love meth and heroin and cocaine and crack. And so I get to sponsor almost anybody except maybe nowadays, if like a kid came in with just like a Xanax issue, um, <laughs> 
those I can't help. I have no not, idea what that is. Not only do I not get your memes, but I'm not sponsoring you. <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> about it. Or if they if they specifically drank White Claw and there was something about White Claw that made them an alcoholic, it's I wouldn't be able to help them either. I couldn't explain. <laughs> if you were to put a glass of white wine down in front of me right now, I would say no. But if it was a White Claw, I would lose all control immediately. It does seem like that's happening. I feel like the White Claw epidemic is only second to the opioid epidemic. God. Truly. <laughs> Truly. It's just it's just because you live in a, a major college town and you've driven through campus in the last two years. <laughs> God, I remember when White Claw happened and it was like, you drive through campus and you'd be like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's everywhere. Like boxes, like, like cardboard White Claw boxes <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. Every, like in the whole city, every fucking store you go into suddenly has just like these giant pyramids of White Claw boxes. Yep. I'm just like. Well, and what, what I think is really funny is like the arms race by all of these different <laughs> yeah. companies to come out with their own. It, we were White just Claw. talking about that. Bud Light Seltzer. I'm just like, dude, yeah. Bud Light's not already Seltzer? Like, Jesus, dude. I'm not going to bore you. Like with nothing. the details of the economics of it. But the reason that uh, it's happening this way is because when the IPA thing happened, the beer companies were able to go around and buy up the tiny breweries and then just put them in the fold. But they allowed the seltzer companies to get too big and they were already owned by larger companies. And so they can't do that because they can't, they're far too large and too expensive. So now they're having to find another way to compete. So they're having to bring out. And I asked my wife yesterday, we were or Friday, we were going to the wedding and we were driving. There's a a billboard for Bud Light Seltzer and she drinks White Claws or Trulies or whatever. And I said, do you think you would ever try that? And she goes, it sounds disgusting. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's just seltzer. It's just like what you drink, but it's yeah. just packaged as Bud Light. But in her mind, it was like somehow a mix of like yeah. Bud like Light and like like Bud fruity. Light. And I was like, that does sound disgusting. Yeah. The first sign I saw for that, I just imagined like a slightly fizzier water Bud Light. And I was like, <laughs> God, it made me, any sense. It made me think disgusting. of like drinking in Utah or like parts of Colorado where there's like it's like three point beer or whatever. Three five. Yeah. yeah. And you're yeah, just three like two. three two beer. Yeah, it's three two. And and you're just like like I'm just like I'm just getting bloated as fuck and like yeah. burpy and pissy and just like I I'm like I, I'm like a, a character from a, a like a frat guy movie. I'm drinking like 18 <laughs> beers at a bar. You know what I mean? I'm just like just like not even drunk, you know? You have to be a well listen, I lived in western Colorado, uh like 20 miles from the border of Utah, and you have to be a well-planned <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why I became a meth addict is easier to get on yeah, a Sunday yeah. than alcohol, you know? Yeah. So. Like, what am I going to drive up to Evanston, Wyoming for real beer? <laughs> It's true. <laughs> Deep cut, throwing out Evanston, Wyoming. Shout out mm, nice to job. all of our listeners in Evanston, right. Wyoming. Yeah. Have fun out We're on those oil rigs, boys. Are you, are you pulling out? Oh, I thought it was the 12 and 12. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, getting the 12 and 12 out. I thought I it really it was. Even down yes. <laughs> yep. Are we I'm, not? Yeah, go for it. Go. Just... You're up. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, go. So out of the twelve, actually, this is um, drop the rock. No, it's just because it, no, no, it looked no, like a soft. It looked like a soft two. book because your hardcover's missing, and then I just saw the big writing. As uh, okay, so I thought you were gonna pull some twelve and twelve joke. That would have been awesome. I wonder how many people who listen to our podcast. I wonder how many people have had to write inventory about being angry oh, how much we shit on twelve and twelves. 
there's two things I was actually like going to pull mine that. from As Bill Sees It. <laughs> uh, nice. A Daily Reflections. Yeah. yeah. On <laughs> November 12th. <laughs> um, so the two things I'd like to say is I think you're giving our audience far too much credit to actually being like active in the steps and like writing inventory. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I think this is just like they just they're just like got another meeting in today. Listen to that podcast. Headed over to Dopey. No, that's now. that's uh that's Sobercast where the guy he calls his podcast a meeting in podcast form. No, and then no, he no. says then he says he says if you'd like to help he, he said if you'd like to help us stay self-supporting, please mm-hmm. like contribute, like donate online. But it's like Dude, you're not an AA group. Why are you quoting yeah. the Seventh Tradition? This is not self-supporting. You're literally asking for donations to run your podcast. That's the opposite of self-supporting. What are right. you talking about? And on that topic, we are willing to take all the money you want to send. We are not self-supporting. Spotify, <laughs> give us whoever. <laughs> I'll sell out in a heartbeat. Sorry. So, what was your? I will read from the Twelve and Twelve. <laughs> Um, we'll have tw- we'll have Fred's twelve and twelve corner brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Top, top donator. <laughs> brought to you by the new Mango Fresh Mint Bud Light Seltzer. Point seven percent by volume. Oh God! That's right. that's right. Bud Light Seltzer hits your bottom without feeling full. Buy our Bud Light Seltzer 12-step handbook to write your fourth step in today. This week's segment of Fred's 12 and 12 Corner is sponsored by the Bud Light Seltzer 85-page fourth step manual. A simple 300-question question questionnaire is all you need to get sober. Dude, some one. Of those things, How was your relationship with your mother? Yeah, exactly. Mm. All those NA workbooks that are like that. It's like 185 questions on step I one. Like, one they might as well be sponsored by Suboxone. This year. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. First of all, as an alcoholic, I do not have the gumption <laughs> to get through no. <laughs> 400 questions. <laughs> Okay, Fred, you had a second okay. thing. Did your second Sorry. thing about the 12 and 12 oh, yeah. listeners? Oh, I can't remember now. That was good, though. I'm glad we did that. Sorry. Uh, no, I love all of our listeners. Even, I don't know. Yeah, I love them all. Okay. So I couldn't pick, so I'm going to do two. But I, here's the thing. Like, I'm basically just copying off of Marty now at this point. So, uh, so I'm going to go to the obvious one, I think, page 44. Boom. I think a lot of people call Ew. this the qualifiers. Yeah. Uh, I, I know somebody who tried to start a meme page called the page 44 qualifiers fizzled out pretty quick. Guess he wasn't a meme maker. Um, so it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. So just a great example of, uh, of, you know, how to, how to diagnose yourself. I was always, it was always, it's always really important to me when I'm working with a new person that they understand that this is a self-diagnosing program. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think that's talked about really all that much at meetings. I think, I think we give off the impression that, um, that, you know, just because you're here, you're, you're, you've, 
you know, you're probably alcoholic. The other thing that I like to bring people to is the um, control and enjoy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and just pose that question of like, when you're trying to control your drinking, are you enjoying it? And when you're enjoying it, is there any sense of control? Yeah. Um, and then the real, the the other reading that I wanted to do was in more about alcoholism on the top of page 35, um, which says, so we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking for obviously this is the crux of the problem. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much mirroring what we were just talking about in Silkworth. I mean, it's almost the exact same kind of idea. Um, I, I just really love this because, um, you know, when I went through this with my sponsor and he defined these words for me and, you know, cause I like I intellectually, I think I knew what crux was, but when you actually read that definition of it being kind of the, the center point, you know, and, um, and, and you, and you really think about how, okay, so if, if what I'm thinking about or how I am mentally before I drink, if that's the center of the problem, then the idea of just not drinking is not going to work. Um, and, uh, you know, I always say, I say this a lot in newcomer meetings or first step meetings. You know, I always say like, if your problem is alcohol, then there's a really simple solution. And in fact, you go to almost any physician in the United States, even Silkworth says it, the, the solution to your problem is don't drink. Yep. But Mm -hmm. if you found that you've tried that solution and it, you're still, you're like, Oh fuck. (laughs) Um, I'm fucked. Or as the book uses a word that, you know, was the perfect descriptor for me, which is hopeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every time the word hopeless pops up, I like to give the description of buried alive. And I like to use the example of like Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. Yeah. You know, and that idea of like, if you don't have the fucking five finger death punch or whatever she used to get out of there, you know, then... Uh, then you're fucked and you need something greater than you. And my sponsor described it as like God driving the excavator, you know, mm-hmm. like you need yeah. God to swing by with the excavator and fucking dig you out. And, uh, and that's what, you know, that's what we're doing. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I think those two things combined, right. Is like, I always mm-hmm. said, like, or I already said, it's like um, the, the thinking before I drink. And then once I take the drink, the inability to know what's going to happen next or how much, or what, how much I'm going to drink or, at that point, probably overshooting the mark, you know, as Marty was talking about, um, you know, to me, that's what is the definition of an alcoholic. And when described to a new person, if they can't find that in examples in their life, then they should take the book's direction and go back out and give it another try with all this information in tow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people in meetings talking to a person who's like just come in maybe for their first meeting um, but you know, newcomer, um, talking to a newcomer who hasn't read the book, who hasn't started going through with a sponsor and they'll be like, well, why don't you go try some controlled drinking? And I'm like, this person has no background information right. and you're going to tell them, they're going to think like, oh, cool. AA is telling me to go try some controlled drinking. Yeah. No, that's when you get to that page and when you have already started to understand the allergy, started to understand the obsession. And if you're still not convinced and you need a little more convincing, then go try some controlled drinking. Right. But if you don't have that understanding and you're just fresh off the street, that's just like a pass card. Mm -hmm. Like a a certain other person's podcast who just got permission from his sponsor to... (laughs) 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways. <laughs> it's not a relapse if your sponsor says it's okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's sure not. It's not. It's not. Because that's um, how anything works. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I was going to talk real quick about, this reminds me of the reason that I chose this alias is the, the Marty Man test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so her thing, she's, she wrote, she was like the first woman to really have success in, in the program and wrote uh, Women Suffer Too. And um, she had this, this, she came up with this test where, you know, like if you're, if you get to this point and you're not convinced you're an alcoholic, try for six months to have one to three drinks a day. And if you can do that, well, fantastic. You're probably not an alcoholic. But for me personally, the idea of having just three drinks a day for six months sounds like actual hell. Like if I were to die today and go to hell, like, you know, hope I don't. But if I do, the devil will be waiting there for me with just three drinks lined up and be like, it begins today. Marty. Right. One to three drinks a day. The first day would probably not be bad. (laughs) The first day. It might be okay. (laughs) The first day with this many years removed, you'd be like, you'd probably feel pretty good for like an hour. Yeah. But you would immediately be like, look, I'm going to speak. I I would immediately be Surrounded by flaming child molesters. (laughs) I feel all right. I'm doing okay. I feel pretty good. feel pretty good. Oh, hey, what's up, Hitler? What are you doing here? I'm sorry. Damn. This isn't a political podcast. Wait, I missed you. What was what was yours? I said Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said Ronald Reagan as I said Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even hear you. All I heard was her say Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I mean, that would be my hell, would be just having to have one to three drinks a day. You know? It's making me and anxious then, thinking about it. It, it, it Like... My armpits are sweating a little. <laughs> I'm like, because I'm imagining that, like, as soon as I finish that third drink, now the countdown begins. Yes. I have to wait. All, I mean, yeah. What is like? What? What? Quali- like, I would immediately be like, well, what qualifies as another day? Yeah. You and know? then at twelve oh one, you smash three in a row, <laughs> yeah. and then you're just consumed with depression and anxiety. Yeah. It's like, holy shit! I have to wait right. twenty three and a half hours. Right. Well, and that's exactly how I would be if I was ever at an event where I was forced to be on good behavior and I was only having like one or two. It was not just it was not an easy task. It was me having to sit there and like almost physically restrain myself Mm -hmm. from going overboard. And, you know, I'm sitting there paying so much attention to how much is in my glass compared to the other person's and. And, you know, am I doing okay? Is this too many? Can I go over to the bar and sneak one while no one's watching and then come back to the table? Um, I mean, it was a mind-consuming process yeah. to try and limit myself. Yeah, it's the control and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that in Two Wives, page 105. It's just something you don't hear someone say often. I love in the chapter Two Wives. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> When, when we were invited out, our husbands sneaked so many drinks that they spoiled the occasion. If, on the other hand, they took nothing, their self-pity made them kill joys. It's yeah. just like, it's like, uh, by this point, it's salt on the wound when I'm reading this book and I get to that. I'm like, 
Stop, dude. Stop. Stop calling me out so blatantly. Jesus, dude. It's, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's too real, you know? It's that whole thing of like, by this point, you've digest- digested some big chunks of truth. So here's more, you know? It's just like, <laughs> oh, God, dude. Yeah, it's just like that. those two chapters, Wives and the Family Afterward, I'm just like over and over again how selfishly I've acted because mm-hmm. my entire psyche is driven by what I don't even realize is just a self-serving drive, a compulsion mm-hmm. to just get me right inside, you know? Are you staying in sober living and sick and tired of having to keep an eye on your personal belongings? Are you tired of having to look over your shoulder at your shifty housemates and roommates? Introducing the all-new Sober Living Safe. The all-new Sober Living Safe allows you to keep all of your personal belongings in a very safe place. You can keep cash, expensive jewelry, court papers and documents, ID, credit cards, you name it. Your valuables are safe in the Sober Living Safe. Here's how it works. Sober Living Safe is a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. Here you can keep everything safely inside. No one in your sober living will come near it. The all new Sober Living Safe, available online at most central offices and most public libraries. I was really hoping that you're reading. I was really hoping that your reading was the reading that you just did from Two Wives because I was like, well, if if our if you haven't turned the podcast off because I told you 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 probably aren't working the steps or because apparently we all um, hate Donald Trump, then (laughs) John's reading coming out of Two Wives should pretty much clear out the rest of the team. (laughs) I'm gonna personally end your listenership with this episode right here. That's going to be my uh, legacy. This is the final episode. Um, Mm -hmm. No, so it's in Vision for You, page 155. So this is where, um, you know, Bill and Bob are meeting Mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, So it says, It was the usual situation. Home in jeopardy, wife Mm -hmm. ill, children distracted, bills in arrears, and standing damaged. So we're talking about Bob. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. So I'm glad I got to go last because my my reading does nothing to define what an alcoholic is, but um, (laughs) it circles back to the importance of what we're talking about in this episode. I know that Fred and I both thought it was really important because a lot of our episodes talk about like, you know, we're directly talking to recovered alcoholics who've done the 12 steps out of the book in, in a lot of it. Um, uh, obviously, the underlying purpose of all that is to carry the message of the 12 steps in our life to people who need that, you know, who could benefit from it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time we're talking kind of like inside baseball stuff with people who've recovered. So the whole point in having this topic is, as the topic of an episode is, is um, kind of like a back to basics thing. Like, because I genuinely, it's not even think I know, I know that there are scores and scores of people in and outside AA 
that do not think that there is an Alcoholics Anonymous definition of what an alcoholic is. Mm-hmm. And I think all the stuff that we've talked about tonight, the importance of it can be best illustrated by the fact that when Bill met Bob, these two guys who started this thing, this guy knew that his life was fucked up. He knew that he had a problem with alcohol. He knew that, like, you know, all these problems they just listed, he could see all that shit. He knew he was abnormal, but he didn't know what it meant to be an alcoholic, you know? Mm-hmm. So when some smarmy, well-meaning son of a bitch at a meeting tells me that, like, I have no business qualifying anyone and that, like, uh, it's not our job as recovered people to qualify newcomers, um, my first instinct is, like, well, you don't, what the fuck is step one then? Like, mm-hmm. As a sponsor, what am I doing in step one with someone? But underlying all of that is, is, is this, the truth of this paragraph that like this dude was dying of alcoholism, but didn't understand what it meant to be an alcoholic. And this other guy who had that piece from Silkworth and from his experience working with other alcoholics gave him that piece, right? And then they got together with the spiritual program of action that Bob had learned through the Oxford groups and the information about what it means to be a real alcoholic that Bill brought, this fucking thing was created, right? And they started going, building groups, wrangling in drunks and wrote this book. And, you know, the rest is like the chaos of what AA is now today. But it started by a recovered alcoholic telling another alcoholic the truth about what it means to be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. That's where it Mm -hmm. started. It started with, he spoke my language. That's where it started. It didn't start with, you need Jesus. You know what I mean? Now, that was part of it between these guys. But where the recovery started in A Vision for You on that page is with one alcoholic telling another alcoholic, I speak your language. I know where you are. I know where you, where it's where I was. Well, and I think that reminded me of that, um, that part in the book where it talks about until one alcoholic is working with another, little or nothing can be accomplished, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's, that's exactly where Bob was. He wasn't going to accomplish anything until he had that, that other piece that you said they were talking about, um, Bill was carrying with him. And I, I mean, you know, I, I feel like both of those parts are, are absolutely essential. Um, but one without the other was not helpful to me. Um, you know, I kind of, I had a rehab experience where I got all of this information about what alcoholism was. And I knew all about the allergy and I knew all about the obsession and I was missing the spiritual piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that self-knowledge about what alcoholism was and wasn't, wasn't going to protect me, mm-hmm. um, from relapsing when I got out of there because I hadn't put those two pieces together. Yeah. Um, and I know tons of people, um, my dad actually is, um, or my, my real father, not the, not the bearded bald IPA guy we were talking about earlier. Um, my biological father is um, currently like a big time Bible thumper and talks all about Jesus and his Facebook posts and stuff. Um, 
but he doesn't have an understanding of what alcoholism is. He doesn't have an understanding of the hopelessness of the disease, the allergy or the obsession. And he's missing that piece. And, you know, until both of those pieces come together, little, little or nothing can be done. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, I think it's several places in the book. They give a description like of what life might be looking like, you know? And I think it's crazy that uh, whether it's 1935 or 2020, like yeah. this, <laughs> you could read this sentence in just about any rehab. And mm-hmm. I would gear, I would bet that, I mean, at least in my experience, like probably 90% of the room would, if you said, Hey, stand up, if that kind of matches where you're at right now, you know, the, the, the home in jeopardy, the, the partner is ill or, or, you know, looking to leave, uh, the children are distracted, the bills are in, uh, in arrears and, and your, your stand, standing is damaged. I think most people would relate you know, to that, mm-hmm. uh, e- even today. And, uh, and I think the best part about this kind of goes back to what we were, what we were talking about, which is that Bill goes through, they, he acquaints him with alcoholism, right? He, I, he even gets started, uh, on, on a spiritual program of action. And then Bob's like, I got this. And then he drinks. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I'm, I don't know, but I would be willing to bet that you know, after he drank this, everything they had talked about that day probably became solidified in, in his mind and in his soul in a way that it was like, okay, that there is no way I can ever look at alcohol the same again now mm-hmm. because it's, you know, and, and I, again, I just, I feel like there's such a, um, there's such this push against ever, telling people to go drink again when in actuality some of the people i've had the most success with are people who i make angry at a meeting in a rehab they relapse they come back 90 days later and now they get it and that it's just from hearing me talk for three minutes all that's all they they've been in and out of the program for years they hear me talk for three minutes i make them super angry they go out and i'm sure you know they're sitting there looking at their drugs or alcohol and saying, I need that to last me till Friday and it's Wednesday and they wake up Thursday morning with nothing. And it's, I, you know, I hope that it's either my words or the words they've heard from somebody else in AA that come up into their mind Mm -hmm. that go, Oh, I'm fucked. Like, cause that shit was supposed to last me till Friday and now I have nothing, you know? And, uh, and I, I just hope that more people get to hear that message that, you know, um, that this is about you and your inability to control the amount that you do or use or whatever. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a, that's a brilliant, brilliant, uh, place to go in the book, John. So well done. Yeah, that was actually my almost exact experience. Whenever we got to that section where it talked about try some controlled drinking, I didn't tell my sponsor this. And in fact, I didn't tell anybody this for like a year. Um, but it was about a month and a half into me being sober and starting to go through the book. And we got to that section in the book and I thought to myself, okay, um, I'm not fully convinced. I'm going to, my parents are out of town for the evening. I'm house sitting the house. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and drink tonight and no one needs to be the wiser. I don't have to tell anybody. Uh, and I'll just start drinking again. And I remember I had planned, I'd work at about five o'clock the next morning. And I had planned to have, uh, I had like marked off on a bottle where I was going to drink to. <laughs> and totally normal behavior, by the way. 
woke up totally normal behavior. <laughs> I'm laughing mainly because I've done that like <laughs> so many times. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember I woke up the next day. It was like 10 a.m. I had slept through work and the amount in the bottle was far, far below where I had intended to get to. And I remember being like, damn, that is the allergy. I am hopeless in this. Um, and I guess I really do need to be here. And I really do need what this book has to offer. Because um, if it's describing me and what, what it's saying about my drinking is true in my life, and then it's telling me that other people who drink like I drink have done this work and, and no longer drink that way um, or suffer from the obsession, then then maybe I really do need to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't tell my sponsor about it. I was uh, <laughs> lied about that for like a year. Uh, and then finally I started going through the work again with another sponsor, with another sponsor. And I was like, Oh shit, I've been real dishonest on this one. <laughs> a lot of stuff you hear in meetings. is just kind of like about loving people into magically becoming sober. And, um, and I think it begins with conflating recovery and abstinence, you know, which are not the same thing. And um, and I, you know, I, I think often, very, very often, that how grateful I am that Alcoholics Anonymous is not about abstinence from alcohol; it's about recovery from alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And if this step one thing wasn't so important, I don't think a third of the recovery portion of the book would be about it. You know. Um, I don't, I don't think they would use such loaded language, like powerless, like that's Mm -hmm. fucking big. And I really don't think that in, in our, our marching orders in chapter seven, I don't think that it would tell us like, yeah, you know, this person might not respond to you. Um, but if you've done your job, you know, tells me what my job is like to relay the information about this illness to this person effectively to effectively communicate, convey this information about step one, about the qualifiers for this illness. If I've done that effectively and this guy goes and drinks, perhaps I have disturbed him, you know, mm-hmm. so you guys are both saying like, and I've been on both sides of that. And I've definitely been the person who's just like, fuck you. You're full of shit. And like, you know, like I just, just angry, whatever. And just like, like Marty was saying, just watching myself experience that in real time, you know, and uh, watching it take me like cross country and fucking, you know, living in like pay by the week motel rooms and, and just like, you know, huffing Old Spice to like, you know, cause like, cause the store's not open for booze yet. You right. Know, like in a place where I'm just like, this is something I didn't plan on or decide on that I am just reacting to something I can't control myself and fuck those people for educating me that that was a thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, I ha- I had that and it took me like another 15 years after that specific anecdote to actually be like, yeah, so there's a place where you can go and recover from that. And I remember that and I'm going to just go to fucking do that because I'm disturbed. Because to a point, it reaches a fever pitch where it's like my willingness comes like a little higher than my, you know, desire to push through the pain. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, cool, I'm going to try this, you know. 
but it's just because somebody planted a seed. You know, if if I had never been given that information in my first stints in AA, if no one had ever relayed to me that there was an actual way to say, here's what an alcoholic is, you know, here are these symptoms. Um, if you have them, you can recover by doing this stuff. If no one had ever done that for me, I would have never known that there was something to go back to in AA. I would have thought AA was just group therapy shit where you go complain for an mm -hmm. hour a day or whatever, you know, put a, right. put a dollar in the basket. Like I, why would I go back to that? I really like what you said about the, um, the working orders. Cause, um, you know, coming, coming in on the other side of this is someone who has recovered and who is now responsible for explaining this illness, not explaining this illness, but presenting the fact about this illness to someone who's suffering from it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have, I have to remember too, cause I, I've been guilty of this. My first couple sponsees, you know, I feel like I was, you know, it was one of those, I can see it, that they can't type things or, yeah. and I spent so much time and effort trying to, trying to show this person, maybe this passage will convince them. And maybe this passage will convince them. And maybe this story from my life will convince them. But I have to remember that, you know, I, I am not the great persuader. Alcohol is the great mm. persuader. Yep. And it was, that was the great persuader in my life. It was the great persuader in my sponsor's life. Um, you know, I am not in charge of or capable of convincing somebody that they have alcoholism. I'm just mm -hmm. here to lay out um, what I know, what the book says and what my experience is. Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. 12 questions with our guest, Marty. Question one. How did your sponsor approach you? She did not. I actually approached another woman um, first and I asked her and her response to me was, I just have a lot going on right now. And I really, I really can't do that. Uh, and she pointed me in the direction of this lady who I was terrified of because she had the worst resting bitch face in the world. Um, and I was so scared of her. But any, I, I still went up and I still talked to her. Um, and she ended up being the exact right person to take me through the steps for the first time. Nice. Nice. How many people have you sponsored? Successfully? No. So whenever... Okay, <laughs> let's clear this up. Anytime we ask a question, we're just asking literally what the question is. Because like some people think that we're trying to get like a right answer. We're literally just like asking, like, what is your reaction to this question? I would say... I mean, if everybody who's ever reached out to me and had like one meeting counts. For sure. Like 10 to 10 to 12, 10 to 12. That sounds about right. Cool. Nice. All right. Uh, how long did it take you to do the steps the first time? The first time it took me about, um, well, I would say it, I got through 11 at about five months, um, but I did not sponsor anybody until my second year sober. Um, and I just, I came from, um, I came from kind of like a group in a lineage where that wasn't necessarily like, you know, 
I was told to be going to do those things, but I was also terrified uh, that I was going to ruin somebody's life. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really had a great understanding of what sponsorship really is until yeah. um, I had a little bit more experience in the program. And then I started to see when I did start to do that in my second year, I started to see um, how incredibly important it is. And uh, so I guess, I guess two years, but really five months is when I had finally gotten through um, the one through 11. Nice. So to you, what's the most important word in step one? The dash. (laughs) The M dash. Okay. The dash. That's like the answer of someone who owns a style guide or two. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's important because it it, it lets me know that it's separating the first step into two different thoughts. You know, I have to accept that my I'm powerless over alcohol dash and that my life has become unmanageable. Cool. Nice. That's that's an interesting answer. Thank you. (laughs) I like to keep it fresh. I like to keep it fresh for the listeners. You know what I mean? (laughs) I've been in first step meetings where that very thing was broken down for like 45 minutes. <laughs> and was, there's like some was, guy um, sweating out Suboxone in the corner, just like, <laughs> no, that was me. <laughs> was, was, um, was Hank, uh, chairing that one. He was. Oh, I'm sorry. What was his, what was his code name? Oh, oh, you're Hank. Oh. Uh, what was his code name? Hank. Hank. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you listen to Hank's podcast, then he was probably the one that was chairing the uh, 45-minute first step. <laughs> dash. Dash discussion. The dash. The dash discussion. Right. The great um, dash debate. <laughs> despite what um, despite what John has been telling you, there are right answers to my questions. Okay. So, Thank you. Um, which sober celebrity do you find most abhorrent? Wow, this one, this falls into so this is like hashtag current events. <laughs> yes, wondering if it'll change. Well, currently or currently, well, it would have to be Dax Shepard. Mm. Currently, yeah. would have to be Dax Shepard, but I think the most long-standing would have to be Holly Whitaker. Oh, Rick but Bell. she's not necessarily she's not necessarily celebrity. She's like a famous person. Yeah. yeah. I would like, call her. Or well she's, a sober, or she's a sober celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Which, she's like, how on, how on earth? It's like Rachel Ray's not a thing. chef, but she's like a celebrity chef. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. How, how, how did sober celebrities become a thing? It totally blows my mind. Well, my thing is, I just don't understand how all these other people who I know, I know are in Alcoholics Anonymous, like really famous people who are in Alcoholics Anonymous and are actually, I know, are helping people in Alcoholics Anonymous work the steps, live the live this life. And yet, when I, and I, I've seen them and heard them in interviews and they will say things to the nature of the fact that they're sober. They never mention AA though, Mm-mm. but they will say things in a way that I'll be like, to my wife, I'll be like, oh, that's AA. He just, they just quoted the book. Yeah. Like, yep. that's AA. But they never break their anonymity you know and uh i just don't understand why it's such a fucking hard thing to understand or to do it's you not know? it's like, really not but good answer yep. 
Thank you. If you, I mean, it just there. I mean, it just literally, even the short form of tradition, whatever tradition it is, press, radio, and films. It's 11. fucking clear as day. Yeah, it's clear as day. Yeah, it doesn't clear as yeah. day. I mean, it's it's so there's no gray area. Like no. Well, the thing that cracks me up about that and about Dax Shepard specifically, since you mentioned him, um, is that so one time uh, me and a buddy were trying to like find some new meetings around town. We were just like, oh, there's this literature study or whatever. I think it was called literature studies. We were like, let's check that out. Just church between like equidistant to our homes. So we met there and um course it was a 12 and 12 thing and they also packed passed out like worksheets that i'd never seen about and it was about tradition 11 and like the meeting everybody went around the meeting um and it just like of course like i i was like almost the last person to talk you know because they're just going around the room and it's one of those things where it's like this is so stupid who's not changing this format right now because like half of the people in this room have never even read the traditions right half these people are new like the other half are when they're you know and it's not like i'm thumbing my nose at these people but it's like these people don't care about tradition 11 they they've not even been through the steps they don't know what you're talking about you know what i mean it's not like their fault it's like what is a chairperson doing right now like well we got to stick to our 11th tradition meeting you know or whatever (laughs) it is november or whatever the hell it is um so person after person would be like yeah i mean like uh you know i get it you don't you clearly don't get it like i get it but uh you know i really like dax shepherd's podcast and it feels helpful so i don't really care i don't care that he you know is constantly saying that he's an aa and you know i i I don't think that this tradition applies and it's just like what what are you talking about No, or how about the argument where it's like, well, it's his anonymity to break. Exactly. It's like, no, no I'm like, not worried about not him. That's not what it's about. I could give two fucks about that guy. Like, no. you know, I feel awful for his wife and his children. I am. Oh I have God. a tremendous amount of empathy for his family and for this coworker of his who is who is clearly so reliant upon him for her <laughs> livelihood that she is just co-signing every fucking thing he says. You know, I. But my fear is not for that guy which again if that dude called me right now and was like hey i need a sponsor i'd be like fucking let's absolutely. do it absolutely for sure thing we're gonna talk about 11's tradition but <laughs> um uh, but you know my fear is for how about the fact that uh anybody like now alcoholics anonymous is just a bunch of people who lie about their sobriety dates yeah Mm -hmm. a bunch of people who can ask their and so now i'm just allowed to ask my sponsor if it's okay if i take somebody else's drugs and if my sponsors so that's how it works in aa because again i heard it from dak shepherd and he is the face of alcoholics anonymous because he's put himself there and that is the thing i'm it's not about protecting dax or his fucking sensitive anonymity he should be out uh you know, openly being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in his community, in his home, in his work. Everybody I work with knows I'm in AA. And I have gotten referrals. I have a person who I work with who texted me last week and was like, please don't tell anybody at my company, but my ex-husband is really struggling and he's blah, blah, blah. And here's, would you mind help? And I was like, hell yeah, I'll help him because she knows I'm sober and she knows I'm in AA. But that's not, I have, my name is not Fred. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler alert. You know what I mean? Like, 
It's not the public uh, level. It's not the public right. level. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not on Facebook thanking AA for my years sober. Right. I'm no. not. I'm not doing that. And like, I'm certainly not going on to recovery meme accounts on Instagram, blasting them in the comments for calling people out for making themselves the public face of AA. Because right. here's the fucking deal, dude. If my if my if my Prius is covered in AA bumper stickers, and I even accidentally cut someone off in traffic. I, I, I'm not omniscient. I don't know that that person isn't just gonna hate AA for the rest of their life because AA is a bunch of hypocritical assholes who drive like dicks. Like I don't know that. That that's not. Mm -hmm. It's not for me to know. You know what I mean? Right. At a public level, I'm not going out with Bill Wilson as my homie T-shirts to every fucking day events. I'm not like walking yep. through the grocery store like. Oh, can I help you with that? I'm in AA. I do nice things. <laughs> you know, like this, this, I am not the public face of AA, and anonymity protects AA from me, not me. Right. From well, it, people, you know, I just told y'all that I lied about my sobriety for about a year. I had, you know, I just needed to change. It was as simple as changing my date from like January to February. Yeah. But still, you know, I, I lied about that shit for a good solid year. And had I been plastering that all over the stratosphere how shitty would that have made aa look yeah right whenever i had to come clean and you know tell my sponsor tell my significant other tell my family that i had lied to them listen and i lied about my sobriety in aa for a long time i had i had years i didn't you know what i mean but like and i know that happens all the time mm -hmm. um but uh exactly what you just said it's there's a big difference between it happening within the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and being kind of policed internally as opposed to being like witnessed by the outside world who we've just gone through an hour podcast discussing how they are completely ignorant to what the fuck is really going on. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think what kills me about that podcast, I, I couldn't get through the entire thing because I was sitting there and I was like, I was yelling so, at my, I was at like, my speakers. Yeah. So, and, but I think what really got me was the fact that um was the fact that i learned that my sponsor can tell me whether or not i can drink um which means you know like she's been keeping that from me for years now like she fucking owes me some kind of an explanation for that um and also the fact that it was like the exact opposite of what the amends is laid out to be yeah. in the ninth step mm -hmm. the ninth step it says we're you know we do not explain ourselves we are you know we admit our wrongs and we move and we ask what we can do to, to make it right we don't be we don't go in overly emotional i'm not there to say well yeah i did this but here's why and literally the whole thing was like well i hurt my hand i don't know if you guys knew that but i hurt my hand and it hurt real bad yeah, and my dad was, like, was dying. It was my so self-pitying and like refusing oh. to acknowledge your part in anything. I'm sorry, did he was that an amends to some like That's honestly the whole podcast sounded like I think it was, it was, I think like, he thinks he was an amends to his amends. listenership. Yeah. 
Well, he owes an amends to Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, here's the deal: is it like that's that's the topper of it? Is just like throughout your quote apology, you continue to say Alcoholics Anonymous over and over again, and so he doesn't think that it's a problem. Yeah. So here's the deal: like you know, because I guarantee you, if any of this makes it into this podcast episode, there are 100% going to be people listening to this thinking that we're being assholes because they have no concept of tradition 11 and why it's important, why they need to adhere to it, why this famous dude fucked up by not doing that. And Mm -hmm. even though this is a crystal clear case of why, but here's the deal, dude, we're a group of people who in order to not die for our life to not end The number one thing that we must be rid of, you know, self, is resentment, right? It kills more alcoholics than anything. Resentment, right? So we have this whole part of our process that's huge, where we take stock of every resentment that we have in our lives. And so if you're going to tell me that somebody who is, you know, sick and suffering, somebody who's in active alcoholism or addiction... Like, okay, because one of the comments that I've seen is like, oh, it will, if somebody sees Dax Shepard go through this and that keeps them from going to AA, then they weren't ready. Then they're not willing to recover in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you're going to tell me that you understand alcoholics, but you're also going to say that these people who need to do a thorough inventory of all of their visceral hatreds that keep them blocked from God that that same person is responsible, you know, for, for sorting out Dax Shepard's bullshit from what actually AA is. And so, like, for me, I need the tiniest crumb of anything to, as an active alcoholic, to have a thorough, life-dominating resentment that yeah, keeps Yeah, real me. or imagined. Exactly. So, like... How are you going to tell me that you understand alcoholics and then also tell me that this isn't preventing alcoholics from getting to Alcoholics Anonymous? You're fucking yep. wrong, dude. You're just mm-hmm. wrong. You know? Yep. Anyway, we should you know, not make this a yeah. four. Sorry. Five. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Okay. So <laughs> I had a feeling we might talk about that. I was like, on sorry. The fence. I was hoping okay. we would. <laughs> <laughs> it hadn't even occurred to me, but yeah, cool. Um, okay. How many stories have you read from the back of the book? All of them, um, all of them once, some of them more than once. But my favorite is Women Suffer Too. That was the first one that I read because uh, my sponsor was like, okay, while we're, you know, we read together on this day of the week, but every other day of the week, uh, read a page a day, no more than a story a day. Um, and the one I keep always going back, I remember reading Women Suffer Too for the first time. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. Did like, did. Did I somehow time travel <laughs> to 1939, write this, forget I wrote it, and then time travel back here? Because that's how spot on that story that's was really cool. for me. Nice. I saw a funny meme. It was a guy holding a sign that said, uh, what do we want? Time travel. When do we want it? It's irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he calls us nerds. Uh, yeah. Good one. Come on. Okay. I know. Well, you guys are. Um, when did you feel the nearness of your creator? Um, after the fifth step. That was the first time. Nice. Nice. Um, let's see here. What's your idea of the perfect AA meeting? 
the Wednesday, the one that we have on Wednesday night. Do you want to describe? Uh, big big book study. Um, a big book study where recovered people generally, you know, speak first, and then newcomers are allowed to ask questions and 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 share their experience afterwards. Nice. That way, that that way, the 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 real message of AA is being presented first and foremost. Nice. Follow up question: Where were you Wednesday? Honestly, that was so that was um I'm kidding. I have no excuse. It was just I literally looked at Hank and I was like I'm I'm not doing it today. <laughs> it was uh that's my that okay, so on Wednesdays I have a class that I kid you not is three and a half hours long because it's a once a week class. Yeah. And it's three and a half hours long on Zoom. And then no thanks. Right after is when is when a black rhino starts, and I was just like, "Holy shit, I can't speak to people on this computer screen anymore." Mm -hmm. no, you're good, dude. I get it. I I've written this question down. I've never asked it, but I feel like this question was written Ooh. just for you. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yes. In twenty words or less, tell me about how you feel about two wives. <laughs> Okay, my finger counters up. <laughs> I feel like it was... I thought you were, like, raging. <laughs> your face. Very... <laughs> I feel like it was very useful in its time. Has some good info. But was written by a man. Cool. Perfect. Twenty. Very nice. Words. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Very good. That was really good. Okay. I wish we. I wish we could show you doing that. Because <laughs> that was incredible. It was pretty amazing. That was a perfect uh, twenty. Yeah. That was really good. That was amazing. If you're listening, you can rewind and count, and, yeah, uh, you... and you'll find that I was spot on. Yeah. Nailed it. For the listeners, she. Um, she had her hands held up, kind of like a jazz hands, evolution of jazz jazz hands kind of thing. She has a full Carmen Banana headdress, Lucille Ball style on. Yep. Um, for some reason, a sequin ball gown. I'm not sure mm -hmm. what's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it's not happening. <laughs> so we'll follow that with a serious question. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh, yes. Yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. Dr. Bob, Bill Wilson, Dr. Silkworth. Um, oh, Lord. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say Kill Bill Wilson. Um, it's a good follow-up to wives. I fuck, I fuck Dr. Silkworth. And, um, I would absolutely marry Dr. Bob in a heartbeat. Nice. Yeah, the in fuck, Mary kills are always hard when you, once you, uh. Once you get see, the fuck my, out I of guess the way, my main question is: um, the kill is the hard part to me. The kill is the hard part, but would I have, you know, would the killing come after he had written the big book or before? Because I wouldn't want to kill him before that. I would wait until this thing had gotten published, and maybe I would wait until, you know, the whole LSD debacle, and then I would have been like, "You're out of here, bud." <laughs> Sorry, you've served your purpose. That's the most detailed response we've had so far. So yeah, I appreciate that. Thank it's really you. good. 
Uh, let's. See. I don't know how to follow that one. Um, okay, pick the best AA slogan and defend it. Oh God. <laughs> um, are there any good AAs? <laughs> right. Okay, I'm gonna go with this one. Think, 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 because I feel like. <laughs> I feel like it could be taken in like uh you know just think that drink through just think 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 it through uh and that's really what i took it as and that's how it was presented to me by um the people in in the rooms when i first got there but my sponsor one day we were talking about slogans for some reason and she was like no that she's like honestly that could be like just the first three steps they're not there's really no action to be taking you're just uh, thinking about the information that's been presented to you hmm. and whether or not you're going to accept those things and whether or not you're going to make that decision in step three. Um, and if you can literally in your mind say, okay, like check, check, check. Yes, yes, yes. That's the first three steps. Thank you. And then the action comes in four to 12. Nice. Cool. That's my defense. It's probably really shoddy. Um, but hey, you got to pick one and defend it. So you did it. Thank you. Okay, uh, bonus question. How would you define 13th stepping? <laughs> um, oh, man. Really, I would define it as, you know, and I can't really, I hesitate to say a recovered alcoholic because I feel like if you're engaging in behavior like this, as if you've actually done the steps and have con- and continue to do them you're not going to behave in this way mm-hmm. be behaving this way anyways um but somebody who um has more longevity in the program maybe has been going to meetings for a while approaching in a very inappropriate way um a newcomer whether that be like you know actually doing the thing <laughs> or um uh or just, you know, coming on to that person in an inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, as a as a woman in AA has happened to me. I mean I don't believe it. But yeah, I know. Not it, in my AA. Shocker. <laughs> I just had uh, a person reach out who was like female had a female sponsor and had to get rid of the female sponsor yeah because of yeah. a situation yeah you know yeah and stuff like that happened i mean it's happened to hank he's told me stories about crazy stuff happening like that to him um but i'm a, I'm a fucking just, bridge gargoyle so nobody ever hits on me so i was gonna say it's never <laughs> happened to me <I'm, laughs> nobody seems to no they don't want what i have i guess yeah, there's some there's some awful I, I know of one example where it's there um are two individuals who are married to one another that I know who have like a weird like cult like mm-hmm. following yeah. within this group that I used to be a part of. Um have a whole they just it's real odd and off-putting um and recently there have been and i have no idea how they're still part of that group to be honest um but recently there have been accusations 
that they have been soliciting their sponsees to be part of threesomes with them. God. And I absolutely... It's like Nexium. Yeah. It's gross. It's really gross. It's like a AA sex cult. Yeah. Wow. Ugh. Well, I mean, and that... These are generally they're newcomers. Yeah, sure. Um, and you know, you go to a place to get help, and that's what yep. you're confronted. That's what your experience with AA is like. How how sad? How incredibly sad? Mm-hmm. Yep, very fucked. And on that awesome. note, this great was job. just a great interview. Just a hoot. <laughs> just a hoot. <laughs> Uplifting the all last, the way through. The last words of the podcast. How sad. How, How sad. There. <laughs> no, this was great though. Thank you so much. Thank y'all. So good. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful I, rest of your day. Y'all too. Go have another bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit mm, in my honor. Tapped out. You should do that. We will. We will see you soon, huh? Sounds good. Okay. Cool. Bye, Marty. Peace out. Have a good see one. Ya. Thanks for listening.